This session is going to be chaired by Dr. Srinivas Tilak. I have introduced him in first session, but I'll reintroduce him for the benefit of new people. So Dr. Srinivas Tilak is a PhD in History of Religions from McGill University, Montreal, Canada. And he has taught courses related to India and Hinduism at Concordia University in Montreal, Canada. His publications include The Myth of Sarvodaya, a study in Vinoba's concept, Religion and Aging in the Indian Tradition, Understanding Karma in Light of Paul, Philosophical, Anthropological and Hermeneutics. So I would now like to welcome Dr. Srinivas Tilak to please take the chair. So our next speaker is joining, joining us on Skype, uh, Dr. Anant Seturaman is a software professional working in the Bay Area in San Francisco since 1997. He completed his graduation from IIT Madras in 1985 and followed it up with a MS and a PhD in Electrical Engineering from the Loa State University after spending about seven years working in an auto electrical concern in Chennai from 1985 to 1992. On being asked why he is drawn to Swadeshi Indology, he says, I grew up reading The Hindu, but the op-ed pages of The Hindu could not account for what I could see in day-to-day -day life. So I had to migrate to intellectuals who do not write for The Hindu. So this migration led me to Swadeshi Indology. So without further ado, I would like Ananji to present his paper. Uh, Namaskar. Sheldon Pollock has written a paper titled Imamsa and the problem of history in traditional India. This paper is valuable for assumptions about our Yatma. in particular. So in my talk, I am going to do a Puro Paksha. Hopefully, I will not bring in any of my own filters of biases as is expected in a Purvaksha. In this paper, Moloch uh, describes two statements which reflect the prevailing consensus uh, among Videshi Indologists. The first statement is, very few Sanskrit works fall under the heading of history. And second, very few Sanskrit works have a property known as historical referentiality. Historical referentiality is new. Uh, if you are not familiar with the phrase, no problem, we will see what it means in slide number eight. So these are the two statements that reflect the consensus among Videshi Indologists. Now, in the first statement, we saw that the statement contained the word history. Pollock is a little uncomfortable with the word history. And the reason is that among Western intellectuals, there is a debate about the scope of history. So let us see what that debate is. Traditionally, in the West, history has been defined as the objective investigation of facts. Objective investigation of facts. P. 
Please notice that I have written the word objective in blue and the word facts also in blue. Why? Pollock explains that the very words objective and facts now have an uncertain status. So this phrase uncertain status is Pollock's own phrase, not something that I am adding. Pollock is say, telling us that among Western philosophers, there is a agreement nowadays that the very words objective and facts have an uncertain status. Therefore, the very definition history is an objective investigation of facts itself becomes doubtful. Next, Pollock explains that among Western intellectuals, there is some agreement that history is almost a subfield of literature. Why? Because an event, what makes an event into a historical event? An event becomes a historical event only if a historian is able to use that event in the same way as a novelist using a scene to grow a novel. So you say, the art of history writing is very similar to the art of novel writing. That is why history is practically considered to be a subfield of literature. Again, let me emphasize, this is Pollock giving us a summary of what Westerners are saying, what Western intellectuals and philosophers themselves are saying about history. It is not uh, uh, us raising such controversies. Next, Pollock continues, a part of what was called history in the 19th and 20th centuries were actually dreamed to be history. Again, please notice this phrase, dreamed to be history, is Pollock's own phrase, not something that I am adding. So Pollock is saying that a lot of what Europeans wrote in the 19th century under the heading of history is actually dreamed to be history. And Pollock continues that same 19th and 20th century history is almost a self-deluded category. Self-deluded category, sorry. Once again, this phrase self-deluded category is Pollock's own phrase, not something that I am adding. So to sum up, what we have learned so far is that in, among Western philosophers, among Western intellectuals, there is some doubt about what the scope of history is. And as a result of that, if you go back to the first statement, few Sanskrit works fall under the heading of history. This is one of the consensus statements in Videshi Indology. But as Pollock explains, the very word history is doubtful. So this particular sentence is not of much value. Consequently, Pollock suggests that we should focus on the second statement. Few Sanskrit works have historical referential. So that, uh, so this is a good opportunity for us to speak about the phrase 
historical referentiality how to understand this concept of historical referentiality perhaps it is best to explain by means of definitions rather than uh, i beg your pardon explain by means of examples so pollock gives us a number of examples so suppose that the topic of discussion is statecraft then the particular uh, sanskrit work which talks about statecraft should actually quote the names of states but it is so uh, they fail to do that if the work actually quoted the name of a state then we could say the work had historical referentiality but if the name of the state is not printed then it is lack of historical referentiality similarly suppose that the sanskrit work is about law then it should quote actual legal cases if it quotes actual legal cases then that sanskrit work has historical referentiality but if the work on law fails to quote any actual legal case then it fails to have historical referentiality going on it would be good if sanskrit works quoted the names of places dates and authors then they would have historical referentiality conversely if the places dates and authors were not printed then it, the work would lack historical referentiality going still further literary criticism should quote the names of poets then that particular work would have historical referentiality and uh yeah, works on philosophical philosophical debates should quote the name of the debating opponent then it would have historical referentiality so i hope by these examples you can understand what historical referentiality is uh going a few more examples uh uh so many works on uh, in sanskrit use words like bengalis kalingas pandyas and so on but they fail to mention which century they had mentioned which century then that particular work would have historical referentiality but if uh, the century is omitted and simply words like bengalis kalingas and pandyas were printed then that is not real historical referentiality so one of the consensus statements uh, is that very few sanskrit works have historical referentiality and this statement is useful because there is no controversy uh, about the scope of historical referentiality historical referentiality in that sense is different from history western intellectuals have doubt about the scope of history but there is no doubt about the scope of historical referentiality therefore we can work with statement number 2 now let us go to itihasas what pollock says is that originally itihasas attempted to have historical referentiality originally why and on what basis does pollock makes this statement he gives a rationale himself here he is quoting durga nidanubhutam iti haivam asi iti ha uchyate sa itihasah so that is to say itihasas main concern is to describe what happened as it happened 
Durga is uh, the uh, author of uh, Nirukta. So he, uh, uh, Durga is said to have given this quotation, and on the basis of Durga's quotation, Pollock uh, is saying that Itihasa's original intention was to have historical referentiality. But that was only the original intention of Itihasa's. Over time, that intention of Itihasa's changed. Why? Pollock explains that was the impact of Mimamsa. So, what does Mimamsa do? Mimamsa explains, first of all, that the Vedas do not have historical referentiality. Why is it that the Vedas do not have historical referentiality? The reason is that historical referentiality, by definition, is suitable for those topics that are relevant to a particular generation. On the other hand, Vedas are meant for all generations. And therefore, Vedas have to omit historical referentiality. So, Pollock is explaining here, that is, historical referentiality in some sense is uh, not suitable for timeless topics, topics that are meant for all generations. Therefore, the Vedas uh, have to omit historical referentiality. Actually, I made a small misstatement. This is the point that the Mimamsas make, and Pollock actually repeats that in the paper. That is, as per uh, uh, Mimamsa, Vedas are meant for all generations, therefore Vedas have to omit historical referentiality. And out of respect for Vedas, all authors started to write in the style of Vedas. Therefore, Itihasas also began to be written in the style of Vedas. And what does that mean? It meant that Mahabharata had to talk about concepts that are valid in every generation. Vedas talk about concepts that are valid in every generation. So also Mahabharata has to talk about concepts that are valid in every generation. And automatically Mahabharata had to drop historical referentiality. Now you can see Pollock's line of reasoning. On the basis of Durga's quote, uh, Itihasas originally had to have the property of historical referentiality, but over time, the impact of Mimamsa was such that Mahabharata and Ramayana also changed their style and they dropped historical referentiality. Why is historical referentiality so nice to have? Pollock explains here. Historical referentiality enables society to reflect on asymmetrical relations of power. Uh, this phrase, asymmetrical relations of power, uh, I'm, I occur in Pollock's uh, uh, article, so I am quoting it verbatim. And when by reflecting on asymmetrical relations of power, society can reform. So this is why historical referentiality is important. So if very few Sanskrit works have historical referentiality, what does that mean? It meant that traditional Indian society failed to reflect upon asymmetrical relations of power and therefore, 
traditional Indian society failed to reform. Uh, this statement, the traditional Indian society failed to reform, uh, this is these are my words, but Pollock actually uses a a kind of English that you can call multi-layered English. He uses the phrase naturalized asymmetrical relations of power. So uh, this is something I think Rajiv has mentioned that it is actually very hard to read uh, Pollock's English. Uh, He makes very subtle points uh, using multi-layered English. Uh, But to the best of my ability, I have tried to unpack the meaning of that sentence. And this is how I am unpacking it. Namely that traditional Indian society failed to reform because traditional Indian society failed to reflect upon asymmetrical relations of power. And that was because few Sanskrit words uh, have historical referentiality. So, in sh- uh, roughly speaking, this is this paper is very short, and I think I have captured the main points of his the reasoning here uh, uh, in in these few slides. Uh, so, but what it shows very clearly that Pollock is concerned about asymmetrical relations of power, about uh, reform of society, and that orients his attitude towards research into uh, Sanskrit literature. That also orients why his comments of uh, of, uh, what Itihasas are. Now, just to make, uh, often we can grasp a concept better by contrast. So I'm going to contrast uh, Pollock's view of uh, Itihasa with uh, Essan Balagangadara's view of Itihasa. So that the contrast will highlight more clearly the difference between Videshi Indology and Swadeshi Indology. So Valagangatara starts by talking of the difference, by saying there are two kinds of happiness. One is Sukha and the other is Ananda. Sukha is what we normally call happiness, when we get what we want, okay, we get uh, promoted in office, we feel sukh, and if the boss uh, decides not to promote us, then we feel dukh. So that kind of happiness, ordinary happiness, is called sukha, and it comes when we get with what we want and goes when we fail to get what we want. Ananda is a special happiness that does not come and go like this. It is important that Sukha has an antonym Dukha. And Sukha and Dukha form a Dwandva. I am pointing out this word, phrase Dwandva, because Gita mentions Dwandva in three places. So Sukha and Dukha form a Dwandva, a pair of opposites. In contrast, Ananda does not have an antonym. Ananda does not exist in a Dwandva. The reason is Ananda cannot change. Once uh, a Ramana Maharishi has Ananda, he is not going to feel unhappy or lose that state of Ananda. So that is why these two kinds of happiness uh, are important to distinguish. So already you can see that the concepts Ibalagangara talking about is talking about nothing related to the concepts that 
Pollock is talking about. But let us go further. So, what are the ways by which human beings can attain Ananda? That is basically the subject of Adhyatma. And within Adhyatma, Itihasas form one subdivision. Itihasas are a way for humans to attain Ananda. And how does Itihasa do that? By means of stories. So, as per Balagangadhara, Itihasas try to take humans to Ananda by means of stories. Let us now talk about asymmetrical relations of power. Asymmetrical relations of power are only associated with the Sukha, Dukha, Dvandva. So if you have power, you feel Sukha. And if you don't have power, you feel Dukha. But Ananda is, is not at all connected with asymmetrical relations of power. All these, uh, if you take any Jnani, okay, let's take Ramana Maharshi, he will not feel unhappy if he has uh, lacks power or if he will not feel happy if he has power. So asymmetrical relationships do not are not connected with Ananda. And Itihasa, because it's scope is Ananda, it is not interested in asymmetry. Okay, I have actually reached the end. So, uh, what I wanted to show in these few minutes is the big difference between uh, somebody who understands our Adhyatma will talk about Itihasa and somebody on the Videshi Indology side will talk about Itihasa. The Videshi Indology side uh, they don't really have a good grasp of what it is uh, a Buddha was doing, what it is a, a Ramana was doing. They really don't have any conception of two kinds of happiness like Sukha and Ananda. Uh, they are not used to the fact that stories have been traditionally used to teach lessons, that is mimetic learning. That's They are not used to all these concepts and on the other hand, Videshi Indologists are very much used to you know, golden, uh, the Gregorian Revolution, the European Age of Enlightenment. So they are thinking all the time in terms of asymmetrical relations of power, reform of society, etc. So in some sense, we have narrowed down, we have drilled down to the different uh, worldviews or uh, pre-theoretical assumptions that these two groups of intellectuals are uh, bringing to the table. And that accounts for why there is so much difference of view as to what Itihasa is. Thank you. I hope uh, the, it was a clear presentation. Uh, I look forward to any questions you may have. Uh, so that was a very interesting presentation where you say that Sheldon Pollock uses history as a means to show that it is a way to, it is a mirror to see the asymmetrical relation to power and then you say that he's got it wrong because it deals in the domain of Sukha and Dukha and we have a domain called Ananda. Now if I play the devil's advocate and I say that okay I will, uh, let's say that uh, I take Sheldon Pollock's view that Ananda is used as a way of aesthetization of power in the sense that you actually 
I can argue in a negative way stating that uh, it will not involve any social action. So he can always argue that whatever you're talking about as Ananda, it may be used as a way to isolate people from society and they may not deal with social problems. So in a way, you are supporting the asymmetrical relations of power. So what would be your response to that? The basis of the paper itself, I cannot say uh, answer. Uh, but I am thinking that I'd like to refer to a quotation that Rajiv wrote that will only do psychology, mathematics will do only mathematics. These subjects will not try to solve problems in society. The impact of the Gregorian revolution has confused Westerners as to what religion is. See, after Gregorian revolution, the Pope, uh, Catholic Church got its hands into everything. They were running law colleges, they were issuing instructions to the police, they were running uh, hospitals, uh, they were uh, uh, appointing judges, they were law minister, home minister, education minister. Uh, and you know it be they've they've been struck you to this day when a judge is appointed to the American uh, Supreme Court uh, each denomination of Christianity is issuing a statement whether whether it is good or not that uh, whether this judge is giving a good decision or not there is a link between uh, theology and uh, the law whereas in our Adhyatma there is no connection whether whether somebody has done Dvaita or Advaita or Vishishta Advaita. No, there is no connection with the legal cases. So, th this is a great difficulty we are having because of this uh, activities of the Christian church from Gregorian Revolution to European Enlightenment. They have mixed up religion or spirituality with so many subjects, like solving social problems. That perspective is uh, what Pollock is bringing in. That is the only answer I can say. I don't have a question but, but a suggestion that is about uh, the distinction made between Sukha and Ananda. It, it appeared as though Mr. Balagangadhara thought that Ananda was something static. Ananda is also not something Hello? static. Sukha means, kham in Sanskrit is Indriyam. Sukham is something which is pleasant to the Indriya or the sense organ. Dukkha is something which is unpleasant to the sense organ. And then Ananda comes from another root, Nanda. And then there are so many levels of Ananda. If we see the Taittiriya Upanishad, it starts with Manusha Ananda, then it goes to Gandharva Ananda, and then like that it goes to Karma Deva Ananda, Ajana Deva Ananda, etc., etc., Brahaspati Ananda, and then ultimately to Brahma Ananda. So there are so many levels of Ananda also. Maybe, I don't know whether Mr. Balagangadhara I mean, uh, thought about them or not. It's only a suggestion, there's not a question as such. That people which I'm referring to, he used just the word Ananda in a generic sense. Uh, he has not, I have not read any of his comments on the other uh, way, the concept that you mentioned just now. I have one question. Uh, you refer to the asymmetrical relationship of power uh, that uh, Pollock speaks about, uh, what would he mean by a symmetrical relationship? 
uh, it is related to inequality, really. I mean, let us use contemporary discussions itself. If you read any left-wing paper like the Hindu, they are always talking about Dalits being poorer than everybody else or being oppressed by all the other jatis. That is the kind of uh, situation is, uh, he is looking for. Uh, there is further discussion of these things in uh, a paper titled Deep Orientalism, where uh, he uh, is talking about uh, have-nots versus haves, or uh, women being oppressed by other people. Uh, so that is a general uh, discussion. It is closely related to today's identity politics also. This uh, We are talking about... Uh Anand, uh, in uh, Mimamsa, actually it's only going up to Sukha or we can say Swarga Kalpana and all that thing. Only on later stages, this Moksha was added to it. Now, Moksha is the Parmananda city or uh, that way it can be explained. In any case, the history is related to the Trivarga. Dharma, Artha and Kaam. That is the basic Indian thinking. And I feel that should be stressed when we think and deal with Itihas. And that's why that definition of history has come. Dharma, Artha, Kama, Mokshanam, Upadesha, Samanvitam, Puravrtam, Katharupam, Itihasam, Prachakshate. So even if it is for all the four Purusharthas or Trivarga, this history part of it is very important. I think uh, this, uh, if we stress on this, we can give proper answer to uh, Pollock. What do you feel? I, I don't have enough uh, command of the subject to... I can say yes or no. I, that is why I have to put a paksha only. And Rajiv said, have to build cooperation uh, with more knowledgeable people who know about my, all I can is uh, I do read English, advanced English quite well. I am looking forward to collaborating with other intellectuals. But I can also what I can bring is reading difficult English papers that I can do. But uh, the knowledge that you have about our Adhyatma that really place. I look forward to collaborating with the election. I'm Srinivas Tilak chairing the session today. Thank you for your paper uh, trying to provide a concise and clear Uttar Paksha to Professor Shilok's Puro Paksha. You started with um, a good point, I thought, which was that uh, Professor Pollock himself is not very clear about what history means. And then if he's not clear about what history means, how can he say so categorically that India didn't have any history? Is it possible to develop a little bit on that point? So the statement was, uh, how is it possible for him to say there was no history in Sanskrit? So will that be, uh, yeah, so if he's not so clear about what history means, how can he use that as an argument 
to claim that India had no history, could we use that as a good Puropaksha itself, Uttar Paksha? In a way, I feel he is fair because uh, history has to have uh, some plan. Uh, so, for example, uh, I have often wondered why they don't talk about history of economics, history of job creation, history of stock markets, history of retirement planning and all that. Uh, mostly, some history that I see in the West is basically related to the European age of enlightenment and getting the church out of uh, many subjects that it is not due to. So with those uh, plan in mind, there is nothing Westerners can see in our literature about history. But I realize I don't, I'm not, I can only, coming from our own perspective, I can only quote uh, what the Tamil writer uh, Jayamohan said. Jayamohan said, if you go to any temple in Tamil Nadu, you will find two boards. One board uh, describes the uh, the Stala Purana of the temple and it will always talk about Indra or some Shiva or somebody doing penance and the next board by the side of it will be the archaeological society of India and it will have uh, some details like which king built a temple in which century and he is saying the same word Baralaru in Tamil is used for both kinds of history both boards and if you change the language to Hindi the word itihasa is also used for the same both boards. So even in in our own culture, the varalaru or itihasa are used for two categories, two streams of writing about history. So I'm, I mean, Jaim, I do respect Jaimohan very much, and uh, all I can say is I, I wish I could help. I, I I'm not very clear myself all right, how to answer your question. Let's move to the Next point, I also liked your um, alternative suggestion to use Professor Balgangadhar and his uh, notion of uh, Ananda and uh, purpose of Vityasa is to provide Ananda through Adhyatma, which I think is uh, worth uh, further discussion. But keeping in mind the caveat that one of the questioners raised that uh, is it possible that uh, someone might use this concept of ananda to conceal uh, or hide uh, asymmetrical powers, power relationships of power. So that we need to keep in mind. And also Professor Kannan talked about, uh, the question was, uh, if Pollock talks of uh, asymmetry of power, uh, what is his idea of symmetry of power? And uh, is it possible to shed more light on that uh, or speculate uh, what could be a symmetry of power or is, is itihas in Indian tradition is it possible, is it uh, capable of introducing reciprocal or symmetrical relationship of power a bit uh uh, reluctant to enter on a controversial area because right, let's, let's think think about uh, it. Uh, we, we thank you very much for your contribution. Health, job. Is, let us keep these questions hey, in I, mind and hey. continue.
I said, uh, we'll, let us keep these questions in mind and continue our work. And I wish you further uh, success and clarity in your presentation of paper. Thank you. To help me, you can do two things. You can go to the subscribe button on my YouTube and subscribe. We need more subscribers there. Uh, secondly, I get lots of emails on people saying, how do we donate? How can we help you? Uh, you go to rajivmalhotra.com or you go to infinityfoundation.com and you can hit the donate button. You can donate in dollars. There are different ways mentioned. If you want to donate in rupees, there is a column called uh, Infinity Foundation India and you click that and there are instructions on how you can donate in India.